Well, good morning. It is so good to see each and every one of you today. I'm absolutely thrilled that you're here. If you're new with us, um, welcome. If you've been with us forever, I'm really glad you're here. If you're here for, we got some baptisms to celebrate today, right? <clears throat> I can already feel the energy. Bear with me. We've got some work to do before we get there, all right? But uh, I'm thrilled that you all are here. And uh, we'll, we'll close with some baptisms today, which is like super exciting. So uh, here's where we are today. Uh, if you've been with us the first quarter of the year, we've spent time uh, on what we call faith stories. And we've been looking at the Old Testament and we've uh, looked at the life of, of, of Abraham through Moses and some of these, you know, heroes of the faith and the big story that ultimately points to Jesus and what we can learn from these people and how they point to Jesus. And then last week we celebrated Resurrection Sunday. Amen. Because it's true, because Jesus really rose, we can trust him with our lives. That's the fundamental truth. Amen. If that's true, really true, this stuff matters. If it's not, then it doesn't. So our contention is it's true, and because it's true, we can trust Jesus with everything, with everything. Now, as we think about how that fundamental message applies to our lives and how we live out our faith in the real world, I don't know about you, but I've got some gaps in my life. There are some things that don't quite match up between what I believe to be true and my actions on a daily basis. Is anybody with me in that? I'm the only hypocrite in the place. <laughs> okay. So my question to you this morning is, what, what bothers you about you? What bothers you about you? Deep down, what's one of those things you're like, oh, I know what the problem is. I know the right thing to do, but I just can't, or I haven't been able to do it yet. I haven't been able to make the change. So whether you're just getting started out in faith, uh, whether you don't quite buy it yet, you're like, I'm just checking this out. I want to see if this thing actually works or not. Or you've been at it a long time and you're in the process of really passing on a legacy of faith. Wherever you are in that journey, we're going to dig in today and we're going to take the next six weeks and we're going to talk about real faith in the real world and what that actually looks like. And to do that, we're going to look at... Um, one of uh, the most powerful books in the Bible, and it's short and it's clear, and it's the book of James. So we're going to take the next six weeks and we're going to look at the book of James and we're going to look at several uh, verses from chapter one today with the real intent of trying to understand how do we actually change? Is anybody perfectly satisfied with where you are today? Seriously, anybody? I mean, you're just 
Okay? So if you didn't raise your hand, then I think there's something for you today. There's something for you today. And as we look at the book of James, some of you, this may be brand new. Some of you are like, I've read James so many times. And as I've gone back and I've looked at this book, uh, I was reminded of a couple different types of coaching. A couple different types of coaching. There's the coaching that says, you know what to do. Just get after it. Work harder. Try harder. Play harder. Apply more effort and you will change. Do you need that sometimes? Yeah, sometimes we need that. Does that work for the long haul? Tends to not. There's another kind of coaching that says, how do I actually change? How do I actually become more like Jesus? So there's the kind of inspirational teaching, motivational, just get at the heart, emotions, and there's the Let's look at this thing and how it actually works. All right, sometimes when we read James, we think he's just saying, just try harder. But in actuality, there's that, but there's also the how does this thing actually work? How do I actually change? How do I actually uh, get better at those things that bother me about me? So that's our intent this morning. Are you with me on that? All right, let's pray. Father, Uh, We need your help this morning. I ask that your spirit would be our teacher. I pray that my words are clear, that they're helpful, and they bring you glory and honor. Burn off whatever doesn't do those things. Guide us into uh, the truth that can only come from you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I would invite you to turn to the book of James. If you've got an old school Bible, open it up, turn on your device, or you can look up on the screen. We're going to look at the first chapter of James this morning. James 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, let's ask a question. Who is James? Who is James? Most scholars say James is the uh, half-brother of Jesus. That James is the half-brother of Jesus, the younger brother of Jesus. And uh, three important scriptures that help us understand who James is. First of all, in John 7, 5, we learn that before the resurrection, Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. Before the resurrection, Jesus' brothers did not believe he was who he claimed to be. I find that an incredibly important fact. Because what that says is something happened, and I want you to imagine this. What if your, your brother claimed to be the Son of God? What, what level of evidence would that require for you to believe that to be true. Maybe rising from the dead. So we have that bit of background about James. We know from 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to James after he rose. 
And then we know at the, book, at the end of the book of Acts, James has gone from being a skeptic to being the leader of the church at Jerusalem. So as we think about faith stories, James has his own faith story. From skepticism to belief to leadership, and then we know from extra-biblical sources that James eventually uh, died for his faith. So that in and of itself gives James, from my viewpoint, credibility as a witness and a teacher for us this morning. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So to whom is James writing? If we go back in Old Testament, and if you've been with us, we looked at Jacob, who became Israel, had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. James is looking back at that. Now those tribes have been scattered. Rome is in charge. The church has been scattered. And James is writing metaphorically to the 12 tribes and and essentially writing to the church, writing to believers, writing to us today. One of the things I appreciate about James is there's not a lot of cultural gap. In other words, I don't have to understand a lot of complicated things to understand what James is trying to teach me. James is also, um, anybody on Twitter? Just a quick question. This is unrelated to the message. How many have completely given up social media? A few. Is life better or worse? Okay. That's a whole other message. But there, when you read the book of James, the way James writes, it's almost like Twitter-worthy. I, I, I see a, a sentence or two, and it's like I can almost, you know, click to tweet this. I mean, because there are short, simple phrases that are present. Lots of one-liners. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, verse 2, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be com- mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind." That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. In these first few verses, we see James painting for us a picture of maturity. He's painting for us a picture and a process of what it means to be mature. There are other things we could add to this list, but one of the things that jumps off the page is to look at your trials with joy. Your trials with joy. Not partial joy, but pure joy. And we see in this a a, a model of faith that is dependent upon the Lord. He continues in verse 9, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position 
But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. We see in James an alternative set of values. Where did James get this stuff from? His brother. (laughs) Inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about a different way of operating. Contrary to the way the world thinks. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and entice. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. We have a process of maturity that James describes, and we have a process of decay, spiritual decay that James describes. We don't often like to take responsibility for our problems. Part of what James is saying here, where does all this start? In here, with my own desires. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, verse 16. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. There's a process that James describes here of spiritual birth. Who is the first mover? in our spiritual birth. It's God. God is pursuing us. God is choosing us. God is going after us. He gave us birth through the word of truth. What is the word of truth? It's Jesus himself. It's the gospel. It's the good news that we celebrated on Easter. It's the cross. It's the resurrection. It's all those things that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created, that we might be an example, that we might live this thing out so that others can see. Let's talk about the gospel for a moment, the good news that Jesus loves us so much, and he died for us. Uh, This past week, my granddaughter got in trouble at home. She's almost two. And right away, Thanks to her wonderful Sunday school teachers and parents. What is her response when she got in trouble? Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. And I'm like, on the one hand, oh, she understands the gospel. She's probably already at 20 months, except that Jesus into her heart. Baby steps. And what else is she learning? How to manipulate her parents. <laughs> it's both and, I think. That's a cruel thing as it pops to say. But isn't that that interesting, though? But there is a good news about Jesus that we didn't do anything 
to earn. It is a gift. It is a gift. It is a gift. May we never forget that. Verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. God gave you two ears, one mouth. Use them in that proportion. Anybody ever heard that before? Just do this, right? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. We're going to talk in a moment about anger. We're talking a moment about anger. Anybody in the room struggle with anger? Appreciate the honesty. Anger can manifest itself in lots of ways. It can be the, it can also be the retreat. There can be a lot of ways anger can manifest itself. We're going to dig in here in a moment and come back to that. And then we'll celebrate with baptism. So we've got to work through anger first. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I want you to, I want to dwell on this word picture for just a moment. What James is saying is there's a hearing of the word, there's an understanding of the word, and then there's a doing. To simply hear and not do is just like looking at yourself in the mirror and then forgetting what you look like. That's a powerful picture for lots of reasons, but one of the things that it tells us is that what we do is really connected to who we are. And let me say it another way. Who you are drives what you do. Who you are drives what you do. And a second part that we're going to get into, the habits you practice reinforce who you are. So if we're going to change, part of what James is going to lead us through is a process that says, I need to remember who I am. And that my behavior is going to come from my identity. Sometimes we get stuck in that, and that can keep us from changing. So here we have several verses from the book of James. Now what I'd like to do 
is take us through a little bit of an exercise, a little bit of a process on how we actually change. Again, this is a, it's a little bit of instruction. Let me, let, let's break this down for just, just a moment, okay? Uh, first of all, um, let's think about you. This is you. This is your mirror right now. This is not the social media you. This is not the, the curated you. Not, this is not the, the, the scrubbed up you. This is the real you. Can everybody see yourself right now? This is the real you. This is what bothers you about you. I want you to have that in mind. And I believe we're in this room today and we all want to change. Engineers in the room, a little delta, a little change. I'm going to use a model that's, that's based a little bit on the work of Dallas Willard in a book called Divine Conspiracies, talking about change but I want us to to get underneath the hood and I want us to look at how we change. What does that change actually look like? All right, now, so if if James is right, first of all, I've got to think about my identity. So who am I? Who are you? If you are a follower of Jesus, that means you've, you've, doesn't mean you have it all figured out, but you've taken that step of faith, step of trust, maybe even the simple prayer, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You've, you've taken that step. When you take that step, you receive a new identity. What's identity? It's, it's at the core of who you are. And that's an identity that you receive. That's an identity that you receive. Now, I want to contrast that for just a moment with the way the rest of the world thinks. If I'm in Christ, if I'm a follower of Jesus, my identity is received. I like the way Tim Keller makes this distinction. He says the, the, the way our world tends to look at that, I have an identity that is achieved. What does that mean? I have to earn it. When do I have to do it? All the time. We live in a culture that's so much based on expressing myself, of finding myself, of following my heart, following my dreams, following my passions. And that's not all bad. But fundamentally, at the very core of who you are, friends, that is an exhausting process. Okay. I can look at the students over here. How many of you know exactly what you want to do with your life? It's an honest answer. How many of you are a little bit scared about what the future holds? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, if, if my whole identity is in my career, my college choice, my career choice, my marriage, my kids, that's a hard thing. That's hard to sustain. That's hard to grasp. Once you get out of high school, the rest of you got it all figured out, Right? Anything else we put our identity in is going to be exhausting to maintain. 
So as followers of Jesus, our identity is something that is received. It is not achieved. Interesting survey came out, uh, Wall Street Journal, this week. They were talking about values. Let me just say this. How many of you like surveys? How many of you like whenever you see data, you're like, I don't believe it. I think it's made up. Math, yeah, I got teachers in here, critical value. Okay, I get that. Okay, I think it's a piece of data. It's interesting. But when they, they uh, Wall, Street, Wall Street Journal survey, they said, all right, look, um, what do you consider to be very important? Okay, they, they did it this week, reported the data. Uh, last time, 25 years ago, 1998. And they said, uh, percent that consider religion to be very important. You think it went up or down in the last 25 years? Way down, okay? Way down, specifically uh, 62% to 38%. Patriotism, 70% to 39%. Community uh, involvement, 62% 62% to 27%. What does that tell you? Okay. Some of you are like, it's a bad survey. I don't believe it. Part of that is, it's all about me. It's all about me. What's the thing that went up? Money. Value of money. Money to be very important. That went way up. There was a political split on the others, but... Democrats and Republicans were exactly the same on the value of money. <laughs> what does that tell you? We, we tend to put our identity in what we achieve, what we get, not what we have received from God. Now, so let's talk about change. How do we actually change? Well, I have an identity that I receive from Christ. So that is fundamentally who I am, but I also have actions that I am to do. I have things that I am to do. Now, when we look at this, we can say, well, there are three different components that can help us change. The first is the Holy Spirit. The second is the real world trials. And over here we're going to put habits. So I want you to think about this picture for a moment. And again, I want you to come back to, all right, what what is it I want to change? And I want you to think in particular about anger for a moment. I want you to think in particular about Anger. I want you to think about the last time you were angry. And in your anger, maybe you didn't handle it as well as you could have. Everybody have an example? Some of you, well, I, I, it's probably in, I got to go back decades maybe. <laughs> I was in the Meyer parking lot the other day, turning left. Okay, you got to picture this. Out of the Meyer parking lot to go to the Meyer gas station right at peak Chick-fil-A time, which is most hours of the day. 
I have a car to my right as I am trying to turn left who turns left in front of me and cuts me off. What was my initial response? It's probably somebody who needs the grace of Jesus. I'd like to share that with them right now. That probably wasn't my first thought. I thought I'm, I'm not even as good once as I once was, so I'm just going to leave this one alone here, okay? But as I thought about that, still had something well up inside me, but part of me was like, this isn't, this isn't worth it. But it was probably more, uh, I don't want to get involved in a mess, <laughs> then I genuinely love this person and want what's best for him. But whatever that example, you know, maybe you lost it with your kids. Maybe you lost it at your job. Whatever the case is, what does that anger look like? How does it come out? Or, Or maybe it's just been resentment towards somebody else. I want you to think about that for a moment. And I want you to to use that, and let's use this as an example. Because if we're going to change, all right, and I say, well, just try harder to not be angry. That's probably not going to work. But if I do this, if I say, all right, usually when I get angry, it's because somebody is taking something from me. Maybe it's my reputation. Maybe it's my right of way. Maybe it's stuff. Whatever that may be, it's because I'm trying to hang on to something. If I go here and I say, well, my identity, who I fundamentally am, is in Christ. That's from God. That's Jesus. That's grace. If I begin to consider it that way, how then do I look at that other person? I look at that other person differently. I look at my coworker differently. I look at my classmates differently. I look at my teachers differently. I look at the guy that can't drive on the road differently. But it has to come through my identity in Christ. If I don't have this, if my identity is simply what I've achieved, then I'm going to fight, 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 fight for that. So how do I change? Well, we need the Spirit. And if this stuff about Jesus is true, it's also true that we're in a spiritual battle. That means it's, it's not simply I'm building. <laughs> I'm trying to build with the help of Jesus and somebody's trying to tear me down. Remember way back in the day working construction, walking on three and a half inch walls and some of the guys I worked with throwing snowballs at me, trying to knock me off the wall. That's, that's kind of what it's like sometimes. We're trying to, to, to build the kingdom. We're trying to move forward. And we have people trying to knock us off. So there's a spiritual battle. So I need the spirit. There are the real world trials of life that if James is right, that is what grows our faith. That is what builds maturity. 
I can't control the spirit. Real world trials, I, I can't control that guy cutting me off. But where I want to spend some time is in the habits that God wants me to have. James is going to mention one, actually more than one, but I want to talk about one, and that's listening. Listening to the word and doing it. To listen to the word, what do I need? I need time. I need time in the word by myself. I need time in the word in community because I can't always see clearly. There's also a pattern of listening to other people, of being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. What if that became my habit? What if that became what I consistently do? That I become the type of person who I'm not just trying hard not to be angry all the time. It's not always just this uh, battle. <sighs> Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I can only do that if, I'm, if I've got the Spirit, if I'm in the Word. What does the Word do? The Word reminds me who I am. I'm a child of God. I don't have to fear. That's what Paul tells us in Romans 8. If that's true, I can operate out of that. Those are the resources that I have. And then I've got the power. Then I can truly be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. There's a way of listening that's genuinely interested in somebody in their point of view, and there's listening like a trial attorney, trying to get you, trying to look for holes in your argument. There's a listening that we can do, empowered by the Spirit, empowered by the love of Jesus, that can be such a beautiful thing and can bring about the, the love and the joy and the peace that are the true values of the kingdom. Amen? So as you think about your struggle, where you are, let's work on this habit of listening to the word, carving out time, hearing from the Lord, and listening to others. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true, that it's good, that it's helpful. And Lord, I ask now that even as we consider ways that we have not lived up to your standard, ways that we have not loved, not loved you, not loved others, may your word continue to be our teacher and show us where we're off and give us the habits that remind us who we are so that we can truly change and bring you glory and honor. It is in Jesus' name that we pray.